Hello. I hope you're enjoying our Origin series, where we are looking at God, humanity, and the world in Genesis 1 to 3. And today, we're going to focus in the middle of those things. We're going to talk about humanity, about humans, about you and me, and the amazing fact that we, in some way, resemble God. There is what we could call a family resemblance between us and God. And sometimes we observe family resemblance in the world around us. You might be someone whom people often say to you, you look, or you are very like one of your parents. Or maybe if you've got kids, people say to you, they are very like you. That can be in looks, but it can be in kind of personality or in character. We in some way are like the people we're related to. There's a resemblance. Well, Genesis 1 tells us that in some way, there's some kind of a family resemblance kind of thing between us and God. In some way or ways, we are like God, or to put it in the language of, the, uh, of Genesis 1, we are created in the image of God. And when we read through the creation story in Genesis 1, we find that on day 6, humans are created. Animals are created first on day 6, and then it's the humans, and it's here that we learn about our being created in the image of God. Let's read what the author says from verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. When you read through Genesis 1, you find that we as humans, humanity, is the very pinnacle of God's creation. We're not actually the end goal. We'll see next week on day seven what the end goal of creation is. But we're the pinnacle and we're marked out as special. And there are actually lots of different ways in Genesis 1 that we're marked out as special, that that truth is indicated. But one of the key things is that we and we alone are created in the image of God. You'll notice nothing else in all of Genesis 1 is said to be created in the image of God. It's completely unique to us as humans. It's unique to us as humans, but wonderfully it's true of every single human. And we might ask, well, what does the image mean? What does it mean to be created in God's image? And actually, if you read just Genesis 1, it's kind of hard to answer that question. It doesn't seem to tell us what the image is. It just tells us that every human is created in God's image. We've got to look a bit further into the Bible to understand a bit more of what does that actually mean. One really helpful place is just a few chapters later in Genesis 5. Genesis 5 is one of these long family trees we sometimes get in the Bible, and we find it a bit difficult maybe to see why they're there. But there's something really important at the start of this family tree in Genesis 5. Because the author tells us, he reminds us that humans were created in God's image. And then he says that Adam, the first man, had a son who was fathered in his image. Let's read what it says in uh, uh, Genesis 5. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man or humanity when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years... He fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. Adam's son Seth is in his likeness, in his image, which we were told just after we were reminded that humanity are the image of God. 
Seth is like Adam, like father, like son. We talk about that. We talk about the fact that we all eventually become our parents. But in some way, there's some similar kind of family resemblance between us and God. Not in looks, because God doesn't have a physical body. But in some way, we are like God. We are in his image. And knowing that, some people try and isolate some specific things or a specific thing that makes this image of God. People say, well, what's true of us and true of God, but not true of animals? And so they come up with things like a rationality, the ability to think, uh, the ability to communicate or having a soul. But actually, the Bible never specifies any of those things as what the image is. And if you kind of take them through some various things, they kind of cause some problems. They're not actually very helpful answers to the question. The reality is we're not really told in what way or ways we're like God that make us in his image. What this resemblance consists of, we're just told that every human being is created in God's image. All of us somehow have this family resemblance in a way that other creatures just don't. And so that's what the image is. But then we might ask, well, why does it matter? What's the big deal? Are there any kind of outworkings and implications of it? And actually, there are various important things that flow from the fact that we're created in the image of God. And just one that we'll highlight this morning. One thing being created in the image of God means is that every single human life has incredible, incredible value. You see that as you see how the image of God is used elsewhere in the Bible. One example is just a few chapters later in Genesis 9. You just had the flood story, the story we just heard actually in the kid's slot. At the very end of the flood story, when God is talking to Noah, for the first time, humans are allowed to kill and eat animals. But God's really clear that while they're now allowed to kill and eat animals, they're not allowed to kill other people. And in fact, God says that any animal or any human who kills another human will be punished for the act. It's one of the most serious things that could happen. And the reason given is because we as humans are created in God's image. God's image means our life has incredible value and means life should not be taken by an animal or by a human. You see a similar thing in the New Testament. In James 3, James is a, a collection of wisdom for living, really. And James is talking about the power of the tongue, of our speech. And he says in James 3 that we shouldn't even curse people. Let's kind of speak evil over them because people are created in the likeness, in the image of God. He's kind of saying that the value that human life has because we bear God's image is so great, even verbal violence is utterly inappropriate against someone created in God's image. In the Bible, human life has incredible, unique, special value, and that's because of the image of God. And therefore, it's true of every single human being. Because of the image of God, every human life has incredible worth and value, regardless of anything that might differentiate or separate us. Every life is supremely valuable, regardless of age, or sex, or ethnicity, or ability, or health, or sexual orientation, or gender identity, or background, or status. Regardless of what we've done, or what has been done to us. Regardless of how we feel, or how we think other people feel about us. Every human life is incredibly valuable because we have been created in God's image. In fact, the image of God really is the only ground for universal human rights. When the whole concept of universal rights developed, it developed from the fact we are created in the image of God. And this value of human life, which is uh, kind of encapsulated in our creation in God's image, applies to lots of different things. We could go in lots of directions now. We could talk about robots and the development of artificial intelligence. They're very relevant to that topic. 
We could talk about care for the poor. We could talk about care for the elderly and end-of-life care. We could talk about race and racism. It's a hugely important concept when we're engaging in that conversation. But today, just for time, we're going to engage with just one thing. And today, we're going to talk about the topic of abortion. And we're going to talk about abortion because though it's a difficult topic for us to talk about, it's a topic where actually we do more damage by not speaking than we do by speaking. And of course, when we engage with this topic, we want to do so as Christians. We want to do so sensitively, recognizing this is an emotive topic because it's a real-life topic. And we want to do it Christianly. We want to do it with the gospel, the good news of God's salvation in his Son, front and center. With the gospel front and center, which helps us to recognize that all of us have fallen short of God's standards. All of us are sinners. All of us have done things. We might look back now and realize we shouldn't have done them. But the gospel also tells us God is eager and desiring to forgive and to bring restoration, healing, and forgiveness. And also, we want to come as Christians with a practical response, not just saying no to something, but actually giving a better yes, a better solution to difficult situations that people find themselves in. We must engage with this sensitively and Christianly, but friends, we must engage. And really, my main hope today is that I can convince us from the Word of God that we must engage with this. And we must engage because of the image of God. I believe that because of the image of God, there is an obligation on us as Christians to engage with this topic, an obligation for us to speak and act in relation to abortion. And that's because of the image of God, because babies are created in the image of God, because women are created in the image of God and because all people are created in the image of God. We must speak and act because babies are created in the image of God. You know, from the moment of conception, there is a new life in the womb. There is fresh new DNA, which is like the genetic code, so that that new life can grow into a baby, into a child, a teenager, into an adult. Everything that is needed is there for a new life to grow right into adulthood. And everyone agrees upon that. Any medical textbook you read these days will tell you life begins at the moment of conception. The question becomes, when is that a life that's worth protecting? When does that life have the right to live a life? Well, the Christian answer is clearly that every human life is created in the image of God. From the moment of conception, there's a new life that bears the image of God. Therefore, it's worthy of protection. Therefore, it has the right to life. And because babies are created in the image of God, it would be right for us to speak and act in relation to abortion regardless. But actually, when we see the reality of the situation at the moment, it's even more imperative that we act. Every year in just England and Wales alone, 200,000 abortions take place. 200,000 babies killed in the womb in just England and Wales. If we go worldwide, that figure is 70 million. More than the population of the United Kingdom is killed in the womb every single year. Babies created in the image of God. Friends, we must speak and we must act. We must also speak and act, though, because abortion harms women who are created in the image of God. We speak and act out of genuine love and care and compassion for women who are affected by abortion. It's often said that abortion is a safe medical procedure. And in countries like ours, where we're very blessed to have good health care, that's true in the sense of very few women will die as the result of an abortion. But that doesn't mean that harm doesn't come from it. Much harm is done by abortions. There can be physical harm. Complications can and do occur. 
And there's increasing evidence of various uh, negative physical health impacts that come from having had an abortion. One thing that's now widely agreed is that having had an abortion makes a premature birth and a later pregnancy far more likely, sometimes a very early premature birth. There are physical problems. There are also uh, non-physical harm and problems that can be caused by abortion. There is no good scientific evidence that mental health is improved by having an abortion, even in a crisis pregnancy situation. There is evidence that mental health can be harmed by having an abortion. And the reality is that many women who are having abortion find themselves sometimes very unexpectedly experiencing deep grief and guilt and shame. And many of them feel unable to talk about their experience and what they're feeling and so end up suffering, kind of trapped in this suffering alone. And I'm so aware that as we gather today in this virtual way, many of us will be personally impacted by this topic. Maybe having had an abortion ourselves, maybe having fathered a child who was aborted, maybe knowing friends or close family members who have had an abortion. Some of us may be experiencing some of that grief, that guilt, that shame, and the isolation that may have brought. And if that is you, as part of us today, gathering us today, I want to say I'm so sorry that you have suffered, that you are suffering in that way. And I'm particularly sorry if you have not felt able to talk about that in the context of church and Christian community. And you may or may not know, we run something called Reflect, which is a group who work alongside people facing crisis pregnancy situations who want to explore their, uh, their options, their possibilities, and people who've had abortions and want help to process the experience they've had and some of the things they are now experiencing as a result of that. And the team of trained volunteers would love to come alongside and support you, to give you time to talk and to work through whatever it is you're feeling, if that would be a benefit and a blessing to you. Do reach out to them. You can email them at inquiries at reflecthastings.org.uk or go onto the church website. You can find out more there. They would love to come alongside you and support you if this is a real-life thing affecting you. So friends, we must speak and act on the, case, the uh, topic of abortion because abortion harms women created in the image of God. And we must speak and act because abortion actually brings into question the value of life of many people created in the image of God. Sometimes abortions take place because of various disabilities and conditions that can now be diagnosed during the womb. And the uh, logic there is we can end this life because of this condition or this disability. The question becomes, though, what does that say? What are we saying in the act about the lives of people who live amongst us outside of the womb who have those same conditions or disabilities? This is the reason why, quite understandably, many disability campaigners are raising serious questions about our abortion laws. One example would be Down syndrome. In our country, if you have a diagnosis of Down syndrome for a baby in the womb, an abortion can take place right up to the moment of birth. Around 90% of babies in our country diagnosed with Down syndrome are aborted. What does that say about the value of life and the right to life of people who live amongst us, many of whom will be known to us and loved by us, who have Down syndrome? Unsurprisingly, there's a young lady who has Down syndrome who has filed a uh, high court case, which will come later in this year, against the abortion law in this nation because of what it says about her right to life and the value of her life. And the reality is that one of the problems of abortion is whenever we say that there's a living human being who doesn't have the right to life in the womb, we do imply the same about those outside of the womb. Abortion will always bring into question the value of life and the right to life of people we know and love and who live their lives alongside of us. We must speak and act because abortion actually threatens the life of people we know and love living with us. 
So we must speak and act because of the image of God. But I also passionately believe that we as Christians are uniquely equipped to respond and to speak and act and to help in relation to the topic of abortion. And we're uniquely equipped because of the gospel. The gospel gives us a unique ability to bring a rounded response and engagement. The gospel allows us to engage with humility. We can acknowledge the sinfulness of abortion. We can acknowledge that actually something that shouldn't be done, but we can do so compassionately and with humility because we look at ourselves and recognize we have all done things that we should not have done. Outside of Christ, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. We are all on an equal footing in that way. We can come with humility to this topic. But we can also come with hope. We, of all people, because of the gospel, can bring hope to those who are experiencing the guilt and shame that can come with an abortion. We have a God who is eager and desiring to forgive, who's made a way so that he can forgive. And we're those who can bring hope to those who are grieving the loss of a child. Because we have a God who wants to draw near to us to bring comfort, to express his compassion, to restore hope to hurting hearts. And we have a gospel that uniquely equips us to help. In the gospel, we are called to lay down our lives for the sake of other people. And one of the ways we will do that is by providing real practical alternatives to women who think they have no option other than to have an abortion, who feel it's impossible for them to go through their pregnancy. We can be those who lay down our lives to make a difference, to help, to make that possible. We do that as individuals. We do that as a church. One of the ways we as a church do that is through Baby Basics, providing uh, some of the essentials to mothers who otherwise just wouldn't have some of the things that are needed to care for a new baby. The gospel calls us to lay down our life for others, and in doing that, we can be part of the practical alternative to abortion, giving women in crisis pregnancy situations real hope, making a difference. I'm so aware that today we are only scratching the surface of a a tricky and complex topic. There are so many other things and questions we need to talk around. There are so many practical things that we can get involved in and we can do. But my hope at the end of the day is that you are convinced that because of the image of God, we must speak and we must act. And as a next step, what I'd love to do is to invite you to come along to an evening we're going to host in a few weeks' time called Honoring the Image, a Christian Response to Abortion. We'll have more time to talk about how do we as Christians engage with this topic? What is a Christian perspective on the topic? How do we as Christians engage and actually provide those practical solutions, provide true hope and help to people? We'll talk about Reflect, one of the things we do as a church. We'll talk about how we as individuals can all play a part and we'll pray together about this topic. That event is going to be on March the 17th, 7.30 p.m. on Zoom. You can sign up on the church website, kings1066.org forward slash events. You'll get the Zoom details through that. Please let me encourage you, do think about giving just that one evening to coming and to learning, to having an opportunity to allow God to shape our hearts and for him to speak to us about the part that every single one of us can play in responding to the reality of abortion in the world around us. And as I just finish off this morning, let me just say again, if this for you is a, a real-life thing, it's even, even thinking about this this morning has stirred things up for you, please do reach out. If you want to talk, if you want prayer, you might reach out to a, a trusted Christian friend, to a connect group leader. You might want to get in contact with Reflect. Inquiries at reflecthastings.org.uk is the best way to do that. Or you might want to get in contact with the church, one of the church pastors, contact the office, and that's a way to get hold of us.
Let me just pray for us, and I'm going to hand back to you, Paul and Natalie, who will lead us through the rest of our time together today. Father God, we thank you that you have created us in your image, and because of that, our lives have incredible, special, unique value. And Lord, we thank you, and we recognize that that is true of every single human life. Our fathers, we think about this so difficult topic of abortion. We ask, please, would you give us wisdom to know how we can play our part in speaking and acting and responding in a way that is gospel-centered, that truly brings your heart and your compassion as a response. Please lead us and guide us in that. And Lord, we pray for anyone who is personally affected, who even right now is experiencing maybe the grief Maybe the, the pain from, from guilt or shame about an abortion. We pray, would you draw near? Would you bring comfort? Would you bring healing and restoration? And would you bring hope as only you can do? Holy Spirit, we invite you and we ask you to minister to us this morning. And we ask this in your prayer.